Hey everyone, Jody Heiss here with you, bringing another special edition of the Freedom Caucus podcast. Glad to have you joining us with us on this particular uh, program. And I'm really excited about this. All of us have watched now for the last several months, really the legislative process up here in Washington, D.C. has basically come to a screeching halt as the Democrats have been pursuing this partisan impeachment sham. And yet, while all that has been going on, as we know, the president has just been amazing and continue moving forward, uh, working for the American people. And now that he's been fully acquitted, hopefully we will be able to get back to some of the legislative action that we should be should have been doing all along. Uh, one of the issues for all freedom-loving people that ought to be concerned about, and I know many of you have probably heard about FISA in the past, but we're going to be talking about FISA. First of all, what is it? Uh, well, FISA is the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, and we are going to be talking today with the House Freedom Caucus Policy Chairman, Warren Davidson from Ohio. He is uh, an expert on so many different policies and uh, across the board, but one of those issues in particular is this whole thing on FISA. So Warren, first of all, thanks. Great to have you back on the program. Great to be on, Jody. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into this. Uh, first of all, let's, what is FISA? Uh, when did it get started? Uh, why did it get started? What are we talking about when we're referring to the FISA courts? Yeah, so as you explained, the acronym means the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, and it's technically the Act of 1978, though it's been amended, added to, changed uh, significantly, frankly, over the years. So most notably, it was modified by the USA Patriot Act following 9-11. So why did we create it? Why did Congress back then create it? So the president obviously has a constitutional duty, moral responsibility to defend America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so does Congress. All, all of us take that part of the oath uh, to defend our country, our constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. But there were this wide-ranging, disparate collection of intelligence programs. And there was a concern that there was a lack of accountability for those programs. And so Congress sought to put additional oversight on them and to say, okay, what's inbounds and what's out of bounds? And uh, though they didn't use this precise language, but essentially citizenship matters. So what you can do in the name of protecting America is different when you're targeting foreigners than what you can do when you're targeting American citizens. Right. So, so how did that all become an issue with FISA being a foreign intelligence surveillance issue? Were, what was the concern uh, with the <clears throat> when when it comes to? And I, I know we'll get to this a little bit further because American citizens have still gotten uh, caught up in this whole FISA thing, which we'll get into that a little bit later. But. Uh, is it just a nice thing for us to treat foreigners with certain rights or dignities? Or was this, uh, what, what were we trying to accomplish with those foreigners that we wanted to get more information on? Well, if you go back to 1970s, obviously the Cold War was going on. Uh, there was a lot of concern about, you know, KGB uh, being inside the United States and how were we targeting them. They were getting increasingly sophisticated in how uh, they communicated and the protocols and they had all kinds of aliases, and it was like, well, how are we going to keep track of these people? And so we need to be able to go uh, in a classified setting and be able to say, these are the people that we're going after. And so there was a foreign intelligence surveillance court. 
And so the warrants that are, got, that are obtained in those courts are different than a traditional warrant. Uh, so you don't get, uh, you know, a, somebody speaking on behalf of the defendant there. There's a standard that uh, you know, so as long as you have a credible executive branch official, senior executive branch official, and you put a packet together that certifies that this is either uh, a foreign agent, foreign entity. Uh, there's an exception for lone wolf with ties to all the same attributes. Uh, or if it's an American citizen, that it's a four-part test that says this person is engaged in activities that amount to es espionage. And they've got uh, a burden to prove that there is a, you know, evidence of this before the court. So then the court considers that and they'll issue a warrant that stays secret. It's not a, a pu published uh, bench warrant. It's a classified uh, court, classified setting. And uh, then the agencies are able to collect data. And in the collection of that data, sometimes, uh, you know, they will inherently gather uh, an American citizen's data. So that's what's known as swept up or caught up in the collection. So when you have, I guess, inadvertently collected data, uh, so let's say that, uh, you know, a foreign agent was talking and, uh, you know, there was some level of communication that somehow involved, you know, Jody Heiss. Uh, there, they would say, well, this wasn't intentional that we collected this call, this conversation or uh, this electronic communication uh, uh, that involved Jody Heiss. So we store that separately. And if we need to access that, then we follow the same protections that American citizens are entitled to which is a traditional warrant process. Okay, so let me ask you this. What happens, how, how often does that happen that American citizens get swept up in this whole FISA process? Is that a rare thing or is that something that uh, needs to raise some concern? Well, so in 1978, it was uh, less common and you know, we were in an analog era. I mean, uh, none of my legal pads and pencils ever got hacked by uh, anyone, right? <laughs> well, you don't know that, do you? Like, <laughs> someone might have picked it up and looked at it, right? right. But, but it certainly wasn't from outside the United States. Right. And so, uh, so if, you look at, if you look at the electronic era, uh, all sorts of different standards came in. So, uh, you know, the electronic uh, communications are now collected electronically and they're stored. So essentially you seized the information before you conduct the search. It used to be that if you wanted to look at what's on my legal pad, you had to come you had to seize get permission. it. Yeah. You had to come seize it before you, you you could you could search it, right? So you you have a search for the legal pad, you find the legal pad, you search, you find the legal pad. Now you can actually use the legal pad. Here you've already seized all the information. It's stored electronically and then it's searchable. So the question is, uh, how much of that happens? So Section 215 of the FISA program uh, allows business records to be searched. That's how, for example, uh, phone companies or internet companies, uh, search providers, email providers, uh, who have all this information available on you, every email you've sent, every phone call, every text message, you name it, the government can, if they meet the FISA criteria, say, we need that. But the reality is it might not meet the FISA criteria. It could just mean that, you know, the Microsoft server is based in Ireland. So it's inherently caught up. Or it could be that you send an email to a customer in Brazil. So therefore, all your email for a period is, is tracked in this program. So um, the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the FBI, uh, was found. So recently, one of, the one of the reasons this has surfaced, obviously, President Trump. 
But in October, October 9th of 2019, uh, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court made a um, public uh, a, a court opinion that they had in 2018, where they found you know, systematic abuse, abuse of the system by the agencies, including by the FBI. So how frequently? In 2017 alone, they found that there were 3.1 million warrantless searches. Warrantless, not right, bad now, warrants. Folks, you got to hear that again. That's what I wanted. This is, that is why this is such a huge, huge issue and a concern for all of us who are freedom-loving people. 3.1 million Americans. 3.1 million searches. Searches. So, uh, oh, oh, okay, right. right. I can see how that's different. 3.1 million searches of Americans' data just in 2017, right? So, and no doubt that's probably increased. Well, and, and, and so why should that be concerned? One, it's big. Uh, two, it's warrantless. Three, it's of Americans. And four, it's, it's the FBI. And the FBI is a domestic law enforcement agency. Now, they do have a counterintelligence arm that focuses on counterintelligence activities and intelligence investigations, but they don't have 3.1 million counterintelligence searches. No, and it's obvious what you said earlier to start all this, the criteria for getting a warrant or the process uh, to proceed with FISA uh, surveillance is much different from the traditional what's expected of American citizens. Right. But when you have the mess of all this electronic information while they're in process of doing FISA uh, investigations, they're collecting all sorts of data without permission or warrant of American citizens. Yeah, and as long as it, look, there is a there's a sort of a sense, especially as all this technology has become more comfortable, and you provide everything in the world to Facebook and all these social media accounts. Like, well, I don't have anything to hide, so why should I have anything to fear? It's almost as if the Fourth Amendment says that, right. which it doesn't say that. Exactly. It says the exact opposite: that American citizens should have an expectation of privacy. It's part of the Bill of Rights. It's a, it's something that our founders sought to protect uh, from the government. And the government is the body that is doing this collection. Now, they're getting it in 215 from business records, for example, that are stored. But they're essentially nationalizing these businesses to say, look, if you're, if you're willing to spy on your fellow citizens and share that with us without telling them about it, which is also a violation of the law, uh, then, okay, you can keep doing what you're doing. But if not, we're going to put you in jail, too. I mean, this is a, this is a very authoritarian tool. And, you know, it's the tension all the way back to Ben Franklin uh, talking about security versus liberty. And, you know, his right. famous quote, anyone who would trade a little bit of liberty for uh, um, essential liberty for a little bit of security uh, deserves neither. Deserve neither. Mm -hmm. All right. So let me ask you this. We, this this whole FISA thing is up for reauthorization. And we as legislators typically or at least we're supposed to. Uh, ask some basic but very important questions when something is coming up to be uh, reauthorized. Things like, is this program working? Uh, does it need to be reauthorized? Are there, are there problems with it? Is it still needed? These type of questions. So uh, has it violated some essential freedoms? I think that's a pretty important question, particularly when it comes to something like FISA. So here we are. Uh, coming up on reauthorizing these things, and let me let me ask you, what about FISA? Uh, does uh, uh, does it meet the battery of quest questions and tests that it needs to 
uh, go through? Is this something, is it working? Is it something that needs to be reauthorized? Right. So I think there's a bipartisan consensus that we need to modify it. I don't think there's a bipartisan consensus that we need to get rid of it. There are some people who believe uh, and have believed the entire time we should have never created it. Uh, we should have gotten rid of it, you know, every day since it was created and so on and so forth. But the consensus uh, uh, has been for a long time that it needs reform and more accountability. And of course, the people that, uh, you know, frankly, more authoritarian, but post 9-11, really a whole center-right coalition, right. the neoconservatives led the effort to say, look, we, we no one wants another 9-11, right? And so they, they've used that in, in, a, in a same sort of way that we've, you know, been in Afghanistan now for 18 years, a decision that was made, you know, in the context of immediately following 9-11, and then they've worked very hard to avoid having the debate. And the tools are valuable, right? They're, and they're intentionally valuable uh, to protect us from foreigners. Uh, and then the question is, so what do we do for domestic people? And that's where we have to say, look, there have been really bad abuses. And and as has been highlighted numerous times, if, if not the whole FBI, not the whole intelligence community, but the reality is when we created these tools, people in those uh, agencies and organizations have access to this resource. It's an incredibly powerful resource using all the power and wealth of the United States of America to create it uh, and force of law. And so what's happened is you had a few individuals abuse their trusted positions uh, to target our president. And if you're willing to do that against a candidate or president, actually sitting president of the United States, who should think that the, these same people wouldn't target an ordinary citizen. Yeah, so so let's before we go further into that, I mean, uh, here here we have a problem that back in the 70s, late 70s, we didn't have all this electronic stuff that we have now. So FISA back then when it was created could never have anticipated the world in which we are now living when it relates to collection of data. I mean, we have come so far. And therein lies a problem. And you mentioned that uh, we've got to protect against abuses of this. There is no greater example of that abuse than what happened to the president, which you, you were just walking into. And I, I want to clarify, how, how was FISA used against the president? Yeah, so, you know, if you look at uh, Carter Page, Papandopoulos, uh, they were the people that had the slightest hook to Donald Trump and his campaign. I mean, people that in uh, Papadopoulos' case at the time never even met uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, so never had a phone call with Donald Trump, never any of this stuff. But uh, they met somebody and they said who was a foreigner and uh, they said, oh, well, this gives us a hook to start an investigation. So it started with supposedly a foreigner out there who had some sort of information uh, and then uh, a foreign, uh, a, a FISA warrant is granted and before you know it, the Trump campaign team is right in the middle of it all. Right. So they're targeting the, the communications of other people uh, on up to and including, you know, the president's communication. So when you when you look at uh, what they what they did with that, um, how they did the hook. I mean, now that the inspector general Horowitz's report is out, we know that there were uh, factual errors inaccuracies. It's hard to ascribe intent, but we kind of get a sense of what the intent was. Yeah, you was look at the whole it. picture and you see and the whole picture and you, you know, it, by its fruits, you will know them, right? right you look at yeah. the fruits of this and you go, 
looks pretty nefarious here. Yeah. And that's been a concern. Not the first time people have had those concerns about the FBI. And you go back to what I said, the, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court in October 18 makes public in October of 2019, ahead of Horowitz's report, all these findings and all the accountability. So the question is, are we going to trust the same people that have been violating the law uh, and regardless of their motive, they've been violating it. It's been the status quo is the safeguards that were put in place in the act haven't been working. Are we going to trust them to reform it or is Congress going to do its job and change the law, change the structure and provide more accountability? And I think the encouraging thing is I believe the president is going to insist that unless there are reforms to this program, he will not reauthorize it. And well, he should. I mean, that is because, look, this uh, that was the the building block uh, upon which this whole impeachment inquiry began, and it all ends up being frivolous. I mean, we are we we found out through the process, for example, that there was a false dossier that was written, paid for, uh, and then that was used to obtain a FISA uh, warrant, which then ends up spying on the president of the United States. I mean, how bizarre is it? This is the kind of stuff that movies are made of, uh, that not real life happens, but this is real life that happened in the United States against the president and his team. Well, and frankly, there's still a concern I think some people have that, you know, this happened, so happened that some of the people at the very top of these organizations uh, have been involved and are suspected of being involved in this action taken to stop Donald Trump, an insurance policy. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. It was used specifically to prevent him from becoming president. Right. Um, but how many other, I mean, we have millions of other breaches, if we can put it that way. And we don't know for sure if there's anybody downstream. It's essentially like right. you have a program on your computer. Does somebody, there, there are tons of people in our government that have access to this kind of information. Uh, who is querying it? And they don't call it a search because searches need warrants. Right. They say they're querying it. Yeah. So here's how it works. Good they point. query the database without a warrant. They get the information that they're looking for. Then they build a case. And sometimes they never do go beyond that. They use that to squeeze somebody to get other information. They're not going to prosecute them, so they don't ever get a warrant. Then they say— And this oh, is against U.S. citizens. It's against about. American citizens yeah. for domestic crimes. Right. Four domestic right. cases. So, look, I mean, it could be that, uh, you know, uh, a drug deal has some hook to to espionage or, you know, foreign power to, you know, cause a, a real credible threat to the United States of America. But it could just be a drug deal. Right. Right. And so uh, uh, so look, this is an American citizen involved in it. And um, and so they're using these tools to go after people. And then once they've built the case, they've got the evidence, they've done everything that was available only because they could query this database. Then they go back after the fact and get the search warrant that they should have gotten in the first place. And they use that in court against American citizens for domestic crimes. And look, we all want to stop bad guys. Wow. But if you did the same, we're talking about cases that are thrown out in normal civilian process, due process, because you didn't read your Miranda rights. Right. I mean, they'll just throw the whole case out. Here, you've got abuses far more egregious than that. And uh, and using all the tools of the country and and downstream with no further reform, whether it's the president of the United States or American citizens having 3.1 million searches that the head of the FBI didn't do 3.1 million searches. Right. It's systemic throughout the whole organization yep. because lots of people have access to this data. Warren, I cannot thank you enough. What a fascinating program. And I 
It is my hope and the reason we're going down this path is FISA, of course, is, is on the radar right now. And most people in the country have heard of the FISA abuse, but we've got to talk about this and explain it because this is a major uh, violation of the Fourth Amendment, and I think the majority of Americans have no clue what kind of information on them is being collected uh, for whatever reasons. Um, and this this is a, an issue that needs some massive reform. I want to thank you for coming on the program and explaining this for us. Yeah, you're welcome. If you want to defend freedom, you have to defend the right to privacy. Thanks so much for what you do. It's an honor to be part of the Freedom Caucus with this great mission. Well, you do an outstanding job. Again, Warren Davidson from Ohio has been our guest. He is the House Freedom Caucus uh, chairman of policy and does a fantastic job in that role. I want to thank you. We want to thank you for joining us on this podcast. We'd encourage you uh, to take time to rate, subscribe, and review this program on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud. And of course, you can always get more information about Freedom Caucus and what we're up to uh, by going to facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus. And you can follow us on Twitter simply at Freedom Caucus. Again, Warren, thank you for joining us, each of you. We appreciate you being on the, uh, the bus with us again today. Till next time, have a fantastic day.